0: Anybody recognize that music? What movie is it from? Cherries of Fire. Fire. You know, if 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 preachers had walk-up songs like baseball players do, (laughs) that would be my walk-up song almost every time. And I, because every time I hear that music, it just makes me want to run in slow motion or walk in slow motion, as the case may be. But Cherries of Fire uh, came out in 1981 which is kind of hard to believe. Uh, makes me feel very, very old. Uh, but it tells the real-life story of a man named Eric Little, who was a, a Scottish runner and a rugby star who eventually won a gold medal in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. But Little was a committed Christian. If you remember the story from the movie, uh, he famously refused to run a heat of the 100-meter dash, which was his specialty, because it was held on a Sunday. And he believed that was a day set aside uh, for rest and for worship. And then uh, he ran instead in a heat of the 400 meter, which was not his specialty, but he won the gold medal uh, anyway. After achieving Olympic fame, you may know the story, but Little spent the rest of his life as a missionary in China. His family had been missionaries there, so he returned there after the Olympic Games. And during World War II, uh, he was interred in a Japanese uh, prison camp there in China. And there he continued to minister and serve, Uh, his fellow prisoners, until he finally at last uh, developed a brain tumor, and he died in that prison camp in 1945. But there's a scene early in the movie, it's probably my favorite scene of the movie, uh, that took place a year or so before the Olympic Games, a preliminary race. And he's racing uh, somewhere um, in the UK, and shortly after the race begins, he gets bumped off the track and falls into the infield on the grass, if you remember the scene. But he doesn't stay there. He jumps up and begins to run to try to catch up. And not only does he finish the race, but with his sort of trademark, furious, passionate running style, he makes up the distance and actually wins the race. And I think that's exactly what the author of the letter of Hebrews wants us to kind of envision today. Uh, Today we wrap up, as Eric said, our summer-long series from Hebrews chapter 11 called By Faith. And if you remember, uh, the author is writing in the first century uh, to a group of Jewish background believers in Jesus. And he's writing them to encourage them because they're facing uh, growing discrimination, growing persecution, and they're struggling just to hang on to their faith. And the author begins chapter 11 by just giving us a a summary description of what faith is. And going all the way back to the beginning of the summary, remember, he writes... Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And that's where we we began. And then he guides us through this whole list of Old Testament heroes of the faith, kind of like God's hall of faith. And the author holds up all these men and women who lived out what it looks like to be people of faith. And along the way, we learned a few things. We saw some themes. We saw that the journey of faith uh, is often long and hard, doesn't go in straight lines, and sometimes it's kind of messy. We also saw that God uses the faith of very ordinary people, people who sometimes had some serious failure and flaws in their lives, to accomplish his own redemptive purposes, We also saw that living by faith sometimes achieves great victories. Even miraculous things happen. Other times, living by faith uh, results in in suffering and struggles and persecution and hardship. And finally, last week, we saw that all these, all these people listed in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, died without receiving the promise. And the promise, of course, was the promise of a Messiah a Savior, a Deliverer, the promise was of Jesus, and they didn't know, they didn't see, but we do see from our perspective. So now we come to the summary statement of chapter 11, the summary of our entire journey this summer, and it actually comes to us in the first two verses of chapter 12 of Hebrews. So let me read these verses to you. You'll see them on the screens, and then we're going to dive in. Hebrews 12, beginning verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Going to look at four things today. Not the usual three, but four. So kind of a bonus sermon. We're going to look at remember, remove, run and refocus. Let's start with remember. How many of you here today have uh, ever been the Soldier Field to watch a Bears game? Anybody? Anybody planning on going this year? The people who really enjoy suffering? <laughs> Anybody? Uh, although it looks pretty good so far, 3-0 in the preseason. I know Jeff, Pastor Jeff will be happy about that. Uh, how many of you have been to Wrigley Field for a Cubs game? Maybe more of you, right? You know, the Ivy, Rizzo Bryant, oh wait, uh, not really true anymore, back in 2017, which is the year after the Cubs won the World Series, remember that, remember that, that was fun. But in 2017, the next year, the Cubs did make the playoffs again, uh, so one of my boys and I decided to go down and just uh, sort of enjoy the excitement of uh, Major League Baseball playoffs. We couldn't get tickets for the game. they were way too expensive. But our plan was just to sort of hang out in that uh, park area, I think it's called Gallagher Way, right outside Wrigley Field, where they have this giant jumbotron screen set up. And we're just going to sort of soak in the environment. So I watched the game with all the other poor souls who couldn't get a ticket to go into the game, but what surprised me uh, and what made it very fun was that when something happened in the game, you could hear the roar of the crowd inside the stadium in real time. So it really felt like you were inside the stadium. Many of us have wondered, I think, here and there, uh, when you see a, a professional game or a college game. What it would feel like actually to be one of the people, one of the athletes on the field. To hear the roar of the crowd and to feel the energy of the crowd. And I often think of Hebrews chapter 12 uh, when I experience that or have those thoughts. The writer says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Many scholars, and I agree with them, uh, believe there's good reason to think that the author of the letter to the Hebrews, uh, the ancient writer, is imagining uh, a kind of stadium uh, filled with spectators. We know from archaeology that large sports arenas are not unique to our modern culture. In fact, uh, if you uh, think about the first century Roman Empire, it was filled with large arenas. We think of the Colosseum in Rome, obviously, but there are many, many others Uh, This photo here is a photo I took when my wife and I were able to visit the Holy Land a few years ago. This is a hippodrome that's in uh, a place called uh, Caesarea Maritima, about 70 miles northwest of Jerusalem. Pontius Pilate had a palace there. The Apostle Paul was imprisoned for a a short time there. Uh, And the stadium included a a track that was good for chariot races and foot races And the the stands there, the the bleachers, seated upwards of 20,000 people. And it's possible that the author of the letter to the Hebrews had actually been to this ancient arena, or at least one much like it. The author here is picturing a great crowd gathered. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Now, the word cloud in the ancient Greek... Uh, had a couple of different meanings. Of course, it meant cloud, like the clouds we see above us today. But it had a couple of slang meanings. It meant a large crowd of people, a cloud of people. Or it also could be used to refer to the very top seats, the highest seats in a sports arena. Uh, Like our seats today are in the cloud section, like we would say the nosebleed section. So the image in the author's mind is a stadium packed right up to the top and full of what the writer calls witnesses. Now, who's he talking about here? The word witnesses uh, is, is a Greek word, "martyrion," from which we get our English word martyr. So in other words, the author is saying, remember, remember that all, that all those faithful witnesses, all those men and women who've gone before you, And are no longer here. And in the context of chapter 11, it means all those characters we've looked at already this summer. Noah, and Abraham, and Moses, and Rahab, and Gideon, and Samson, and David. All of them. And by faith, some accomplished amazing things. By faith, some uh, suffered or endured great suffering in their lives. Many of them had personal lives marked with failure and flaws. But yet they were greatly used by God. Because of faith. The author's talking about people who lived out lives of faith and faithfulness, who have finished the race, who now fill a kind of great spiritual stadium all the way to the very top row, and they're watching. They're watching us as we run our race. So we are the ones on the field. They are the ones gathered around to watching. So here's a question for you today. Who might be in your Great cloud of witnesses. Who's in your great cloud of witnesses cheering you on today? Of course, there are the heroes of the faith that we see in Hebrews 11 and the rest of the Bible. All those have gone before us over 20 centuries of faith. But let's think just a little more personally today. When I think of my cloud, I immediately think of family, my family. I think of my youngest brother, John who finished his race 34 years ago at the age of 20. I think about my mom and dad. Lost them both in the last two years. They're with the Lord now. They're the ones that model for me what faith looks like. They model for me what marriage looks like. They model for me what parenting looks like. I think of so many faithful men and women in my time here at at Chapel Street, formerly First Baptist of Geneva. Men and women who were faithful to the church, but more than that, prayed for me, cared about me and my family during my 36 plus years here at this church. But what about you? Who's in your great cloud of witnesses? Maybe a faithful parent who made sure you, you went to Sunday school when you were little. Maybe a grandparent who you knew, who you know, has prayed for you your entire life. Maybe a friend who was meaningful as you came to faith and encouraged you when you felt like giving up. The point here is the author wants us to remember. To remember that no one runs the race of faith alone. We each have a great stadium, as it were, filled with those who've gone before us, filled with those who've gone to glory, who set an example for us, who inspire us, who are watching, and in a way, who are rooting us on. Here's another question. Whose cloud are you in? Who are you praying for? Who are you encouraging as they run their race of faith? Who will mention you years from now as being in their great cloud? The author is simply saying here, remember, remember. And then he moves to remove. The second thing today is remove. And for this, I'm going to need a brave volunteer. I need an audience participation. I need one volunteer, preferably maybe a, maybe a middle school or high school football player, okay, Anybody here like that? Come on up, son. Come on up. Everybody cheer as he comes up. You're, you're like his great cloud. Let's go. All right. What's your name? Jake. Drake? Jake. Jake, sorry. Jake. And uh, do you play football? Yeah. Where do you play? Uh Ola, Geneva Middle School North. Geneva Middle School North. Awesome. You guys had a game yet? Uh, yeah. How'd you do? We crushed them. Crushed them. There you go. <laughs> This, this, is, this is the guy who won, unless it was against Batavia. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. So here, come here, stand next to me here. All I need you to do, you see that water bottle over there? Yeah. I need you to walk over there and get me that water bottle. <laughs> Bring it right back over here. Okay, perfect. Well done. Now, I'm going to need you to take it back, but I need you to do it. <clears throat> Holding that in one hand. Okay, come over, stand next to me here. And put your legs together. Now take it back and put on that. <laughs> you can drop the, you can drop it over there. Thank you, thank you. Big big hand for Jake. You can take that off too. Now you get a participation prize: uh, Kit Kat or Twix. You got to choose. There you go. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. Give him a big round of applause. Actually, he made that look a little too easy <laughs> for my illustration. Maybe, maybe I should get um, a different kind of person up here next time. <laughs> Listen to what the, the writer says. The point, the point of that, by the way, is uh, carrying a little extra weight around might be a good challenge. might be a nice exercise. might make you stronger. But uh, if you were going to do something other than a short distance, if you were going to run a race, for example, maybe a 100-meter race, if I had him do that for 100 yards, Or had him do that for maybe a mile race. Or maybe to run a marathon with a bungee cord around your ankles and carrying a 35-pound kettlebell. Be a little bit different. Nobody would try to do that. You would try to remove all the excess weight in order to run well. Listen to what the writer says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So here the author is talking about two things that keep us from running the race of faith well. First he says, lay aside, that means to renounce, to put away every weight. And the word translated weight in the ancient language meant uh, just a mass, a burden, like a kettlebell or a whole backpack full of kettlebells. So the author is encouraging us to lay aside any excess baggage that we're carrying in this journey, in this race. Any weight that's counterproductive to faith. Now, I think that he's saying that this weight may not necessarily be something that's sinful. We'll talk about sin in just a moment. Weight just might be something that most people would think of as as relatively harmless. But it's, spiritually speaking, something that could be inhibiting our growth or making it more difficult for us to run. For example, let's take something like work. Now, work is good. Work is necessary. We're actually commanded the work in God's Word, but work has a way in our culture of, of kind of bleeding out into other areas of our lives and taking up a bigger portion of our hearts and minds then maybe it should. Or maybe, maybe there's an over-concern, an over-focus on what's happening around us socially or politically. We find ourselves ruminating in that, obsessing about the things happening around us. Or maybe just something fun and frivolous, like, uh, like social media, or like Netflix, or golf. Sorry to get personal uh, about that. But something that's just taking up more space in our lives than maybe it ought to take up. And so it's become that which is, hindering our race of faith. And then secondly, the author says, and sin which clings so closely. Now sin is a different matter altogether than just a weight. The phrase clings so closely is sometimes translated as entangles. It doesn't just slow us down, it entangles, trips us up, causes us to fall. What I was trying to demonstrate with the cord around the ankles. If I pushed him hard enough to go fast enough, He wouldn't have been able to stand up. He would have fallen. Now, I know sin is a very uncomfortable word, especially in our culture today. Our culture hates and avoids that word at all costs. But we all know what the word means, and we all know what it is. We see it around us all the time, and we can even see it in us as well. And sin is sin, not because God is some sort of a... Uh, a, a celestial prude who just doesn't want us to have any fun. Sin is sin because it entangles, it destroys relationships and lives. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, if there is something in your life, if there's something in your life that's just, that's just weighing you down, if there's something that's causing you to stumble and fall, then the word, biblical word is Repent. Turn away from it. Cast it off. Ask God's help in removing it, cutting it out of your life, because you won't be able to run this race, dragging that around with you. Run, he says. That's the third thing we see in this passage, run. Run with endurance. Many years ago, uh, and if you've heard me over the years, you've probably heard this story, but many years ago when I was helping Coach basketball at Taylor University in Indiana, Uh, the head coach was a a man named uh, Paul Patterson, the late Paul Patterson, who's in the Indiana College Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, And every year, he would put all his players who came out for the team that year through a month-long, grueling conditioning program, even before they went inside to practice. So it took a whole month, four weeks, out there running, distances, sprints, uh, all that stuff. It was very, very challenging. And all the players knew it. They had to go through that before they even uh, uh, could make the team. Uh, And one year, a new guy tried out for the team who had not been on the varsity team. He had played intramurals at the the university and had been a very good intramural player. And so he was very confident that he could make the team. Not only would he make the team, he told his friends he was going to become a starter on the team after not playing for his first two years. So he came out for the team in the first few weeks of the conditioning program. He did okay, did pretty well. He hung in there all the way to the last day of the conditioning program. And the last day of the conditioning program was something called the 12-minute run. And all the guys on the squad who had been through it before knew what it was and they prepared for it. 12-minute run doesn't sound very challenging, doesn't sound very hard. I mean, 12 minutes, how hard can it be? But 12 minutes is hard. You line up on a track, and you run as fast and as far as you can in 12 minutes, and you see how far you go. So that day came, he lined up with all the other guys, and uh, Coach blew his whistle, and they took off. And after like one lap, he was he was started, still with the the guys in the front of the pack. Then after another lap, he was starting to drag uh, back by 15, 20 yards. By about the six-minute mark of the 12-minute run, he was a whole lap behind the other guys, really starting to drag. And about the eight or nine-minute mark of the 12-minute run, he was all the way on the other side of the track, and he just stopped. He stopped, and the standing rule in the program was if at any time during the four weeks of the conditioning program you stopped running, uh, you cut yourself. did not matter if you're a star, an MVP, if you stopped running, you were cut. It was up to you. And he said, if you have to get sick, get sick on the side, but just keep moving. Walk, whatever, crawl, just keep moving. The young man stopped and turned around and started walking back across the field to where I was standing with the head coach. And we looked at each other like, well, what's he going to say? He just, he just cut himself. By the time he got to us, uh, he was still breathing hard, and he looked at the head coach, and he said, Coach, I've been praying about this a lot lately, and I just don't have any peace about playing ball this year. And the head coach, without skipping a beat, one of the greatest spontaneous lines I've ever heard, looked right back at this young man and said, He said, Son... Middle of a 12-minute run is no place to be looking for peace. <laughs> now, of course, of course the young man should have been praying about the choice to play basketball or not that year. Of course he should pray about that. And, of course, it may not have been the right thing for him that year to play ball. All that's true. But the coach was telling him, sometimes when you feel like quitting, sometimes when you have nothing left, you just don't think you can go one more time around that track, sometimes you just have to keep moving. Hebrews 12.1. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Now, what's the race? What's he talking about? The, very word, the word race uh, is the Greek word agon, from which we get our English word agony. It means struggle or grueling conflict, like being in a fight. Remember the situation. The letter's being written to Jewish background followers of Jesus who were struggling, who were in a fight, who were being discriminated against, who were being persecuted. They're facing suffering and fear and hardship. And the author's encouraging them here. He's saying, hold on. Don't give up. And then he gives this added metaphor, run with endurance the race before you. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So the race is the challenge that life sets before us and our faith right now. That's the race you're in. You're in a race right now. I'm in a race right now. Whatever you're Faced with, whatever challenge your faith is being faced with, that's your race. For the ancient Hebrew Christians, and for many believers in the world today, that race includes the threat of persecution, suffering, and even death. I'm leaving tonight uh, to head on a nine day trip uh, to visit uh, some of our mission, one of our mission partners. I'm going to be in Dubai in the Arab Emirates uh, for a couple of days, then on into Nepal. And do, do you know one of the fastest places the church is growing in the world today is Nepal? where people face all kinds of obstacles and persecution if they convert but the church is growing there and i hope to come back with lots of stories about what i've seen they have a race you have a race we have i have a race for us it might not be suffering it's not the threat of death but it might be loss or pain or fear or doubt, or just maybe it's the many distractions in our culture. We're pulled so many different ways, wealth, entertainment, comfort. The point is this. The race of our faith is long, and the race is often hard. Sometimes we can feel like we're failing in that race. Sometimes we, we just feel like we can't go on. We feel like quitting. For one reason or another, it requires endurance, the writer says. Now, the word endurance is the Greek word hupomone. It's a great word. It means to to stay underneath something. It's It's the ability of the courage to withstand hardship or adversity to sustain a prolonged and stressful effort. That's what faith looked like to the writer of Hebrews. So where does such endurance come from? How do we keep running when we feel like we're going to quit, when we feel like we just can't make it? Well, the fourth thing that we see in this passage as we wrap up is refocus. We refocus. Look again at the passage. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, that is, focusing intently on Jesus, is what the language means, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking to Jesus, focusing or refocusing on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. The word translated founder is a word "archegon." It means leader, like the captain, the one who goes first. So the writer saying Jesus is showing us or has shown us the way of faith. We don't often think about Jesus as being a person of faith. I mean, he's Jesus, right? But Jesus shows us the way of faith. He trusted his Father in heaven. He surrendered himself to the will of the Father. And he endured what the Father willed. He not only is the founder, he's also the perfecter, the writer says, the finisher of our faith. Now we know from Hebrews 11 and from our week by week as we preach the gospel here, we know that the the whole story arc of the Bible from beginning to end is about Jesus. The whole story arc. And any place you drop in and read, you need to understand that the whole story is eventually getting to Jesus. He's the center of the whole thing. From creation, to the fall into sin, to the story of Noah and the ark, to the promise to Abraham to bless the whole world through him, to the prophets who all pointed to the coming of Jesus, to the incarnation, the Christmas story, the Easter story, the Messiah. Jesus going to the cross as the final sacrifice for our sin. And what did Jesus cry out on the cross? He cried out several things, but he cried out, It is finished. Finished. The story is complete. The author of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is a better way, that Jesus is better than anything else you can put your hope into. Jesus is greater than all the prophets, greater than the law, because he's finished the work. He's finished our salvation. He made the final sacrifice. He is the final sacrifice. And why did he do it? How did he finish his race that included the cross of all things? Well, here it is. The writer says, "...who for the joy set before him endured the cross." Jesus endured because he trusted that at the end of the race, he trusted that at the end of his sacrifice, he trusted that there would be joy. And he becomes our example. One of my favorite running stories uh, comes from the 1968 Olympic Games in Mexico City. Uh, About 12 miles into the 26-mile marathon, a Tanzanian runner named John Stephen Aquari. Uh, stepped in a hole on the track somehow, badly twisted his knee, fell, and injured his shoulder. There was no medical uh, team out there to help him, but he fell, injured his shoulder, and even though he could barely run, he got up and forced himself to continue to limp along the course. He was only halfway through the marathon. All the other runners continue. Uh, The gold medal ended up being uh, won by an Ethiopian runner. Uh, The medal ceremony took place. The national anthems were played, and most of the spectators left the great arena. Over an hour after the medal ceremony had completed uh, and the stadium was mostly empty, John Aquari came limping into the stadium. And that's a picture of him right there. Bandage on his knee, limping badly, barely able to walk, but he made it to the finish line. The last of the 57 competitors to finish the marathon that year. And there was no medal for 57th place, as you can imagine. But there was a reporter standing by who was watching the spectacle, even after everybody else had left, and he approached uh, Mr. Ekwari and "Ask him why he bothered to finish when he had no chance of ever winning a medal. And this is what Mr. Aquari said. He said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. Hebrews is telling us that faith is like a great race. And here today in this room, I know some of us are running well. Uh, the path we've been on has been straight and smooth, and, we're, and we're, we're just, we feel strong. We feel like the wind's at our back. We're running well. But others of us in the room may be struggling. The, the course you've been on, the race you've been running has not been a smooth path. It's not been a straight line. There have been obstacles, and maybe you've fallen a time or two. And maybe you're finding it difficult to just take the next step in your journey. Or maybe you feel like you're dragging a weight around with you. And the time has come maybe to lay lay it aside, to untangle yourself from something that's stopping you from running your race. Others of you just may be tired, a little weary. Remember, the writer says, you're surrounded Each one of us is surrounded, even now, by a great cloud of witnesses who've gone before, who finished their race. And they, in a sense, spiritually speaking, are cheering you on, are inspiring you with their example. He's saying, remember and focus on the one who has gone before, who has finished the course, finished your salvation, promises you his own joy. So don't give up. Don't lose heart. Set your eyes on the finish line and the one who has already finished and run and run. You bow with me as I close. Lord, we thank you today for your word and we thank you for this journey we've been on all summer long, for this ancient letter written to encourage and strengthen people who lived at a different time and a different culture, but in other ways, people just like us who sometimes struggle with faith, who sometimes feel weary, who sometimes have questions and doubts, help us to remember all those who have gone before, who are faithful witnesses who encourage us and who cheer us on, and help us whenever we are in a place of struggle in our race, wherever we are in our race of faith, to fix our eyes on you and to focus on the joy set before us and to finish and finish well. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. And just before I pronounce the benediction, it's possible that someone might be here today and and that song kind of touched you a bit. You may have realized that maybe you've been drifting, maybe you've been entangled up in this race by some different things, maybe you've been running the wrong race altogether. And so make today, maybe today is the day you come to Jesus, that is you surrender to him and you make him the captain of your soul. So bow now for the benediction. May we go now in the name of him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. Amen. Have a great day.